You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And if you are a person on LinkedIn and you are not connected with Jay, a gunzo, then you need to be because this is a person that's not only a podcast host, but it's somebody that brings the energy. He will challenge you to be a better person, but it's somebody that can educate you on a daily basis. And in a world of social media, where there are a lot of people that want to pat their back, they want to talk about how great they are. They're not educating people. They're not challenging people. They're not trying to, to make other people better. And that is what Jay is all about. And that's how I got connected with him. And I'm so excited that he's going to join us uh, on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Let's talk a little bit about Jay. Now, it's been said that a good marketing or a good marketing in today's world is all about storytelling. We talk about that a lot. Uh, your brand has a story. It draws people to your product uh, or your service, and that moves them to buy it. Now, our next guest is all about storytelling. He is a former sports reporter, which is awesome. He uh, then did digital media strategist or was a digital media strategist, and now he's an author, a keynote speaker, a podcast creator, and even teaches a class on, you guessed it, storytelling. Now, Jay is all about breaking the mold, breaking through conventional thinking to unleash your creativity and really go after the career and the goals you want. Like I said, I've been an avid follower of Jay on LinkedIn for a very long time. I honestly believe he is one of the people out there that you can learn from. I'm so excited that he agreed to come on our podcast and uh, I'm so excited to learn more about your story. And I think everyone listening will love this. So Jay, welcome to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Brian, that was that was too nice. Thank you for having me. And, and hey, Scott, and by the way, to both of you, I don't know which number episode this will be, but you're coming up on 200. And as a podcaster multiple times over, that is no small feat. So congratulations to both of you. Thank you, man. Thank you. We appreciate it. We appreciate you being here. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say. And I love that you got started as a sports writer. I, I bet you can talk sports with the best of them. What what led you to start there? So I grew up in Connecticut, which is a place I lovingly refer to as New York, Massachusetts, because especially in the New Haven area, like New Haven, if you don't know, is right on the shore, smack dab in the middle of Connecticut's southern border. So it splits between Sox and Yankees. Um, and I always skewed New York. So I'm a Yankees fan until this year. I was a long suffering Knicks fan uh, and I just removed the long suffering for at least for now. We'll see where this goes. There we go. Um, and so I, growing up rooting for teams and, and liking sport, I always just loved how those emotional, you know, like hero's journey type stories of athletes played and felt and say what you will, it's overblown or it's overrun or whatever. But I really liked these like big saccharine stories of that athlete that comes out of obscurity and faces conflict and tension and, and, uh, and problems in their lives. And, and then they, and they somehow make it right. I love those human interest stories. So yeah, I love the games. Yes, I, I I aspired at one point to be perhaps a beat writer for the Yankees or the Knicks, but mostly I really wanted to write those feature pieces. And I looked up to folks that were a lot more story driven and colloquial uh, as a kid and as a, a student too. You know, Bill Simmons. I came up when he he you know I was I was getting interested in it when he was blowing up. Um, so he became a model for casual style conversation and tone of voice and writing. Rick Riley owned the back page of Sports Illustrated and loved telling human interest pieces about his own life, about other athletes. And, you know, Jim Murray, who is a legendary Hall of Fame sports writer and baseball writer, one of the founders or co-founding writers anyway of Sports Illustrated, 
I won a scholarship in college in his name. He actually went to Trinity College in Hartford where I went. And so everything I was doing was skewing towards me being a sports journalist, but not not necessarily because I loved reporting on games, but mostly because I love stories. I love telling people moving emotional stories about the human experience and sports is this perfect like microcosm of that. Wow. So I, I'm a I'm an avid sports guy. I love sports. I played college soccer at Georgia Southern. I I grew up on ESPN. I grew up, uh, you know, when the newspaper came, all I did was go straight to the sports section. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like mm-hmm. that was my. I'm a sports management major. Heck, I, I wanted to be in sports my whole life. Um, you mentioned something great about that though, and it's all about storytelling. And my wife would tell you she doesn't want to sit down and watch ESPN with me at all unless there's one show and it's called E60, and oh, she yeah. wants to know about the stories. She wants to know about the journey and that excites her and excites me i love hearing that and that to me kind of you know created kind of your journey now you've worked at places like you know google as a digital media strategist you were head of content for hubspot this is not small businesses right you've been able to work with some very large ones but have roles that are very important tell us about that journey not only from being in espn but then leaving sports going to google going to daily break media going to hubspot and then now you obviously own your own business as well would love to hear what that journey is about and what challenged you to take those leaps well i appreciate the comment about e60 and your wife wanting to watch those you know as a, a big part of my business is public speaking and when it's safe to do so i'm at a lot of live events giving speeches and you know, people ask, how do you measure the success of a speech? There's different ways you can try it. The line to ask you questions, the tweets or whatever. There's something very simple that the more I talk to other professional speakers, the more I realize like that kind of is it. If you want to create a keynote speech or you want to write, you know, a big concept book or something like that. Did the AV team love your talk? Because the AV team sees all the talks. It's their job, right? So it's easy to tune out and not care and just set up the technical side of it. And the AV team is not whoever, the accountants, the lawyers, the marketers, the, you know, the, the, the trade associations members sitting in the crowd. They're people. And so if your idea is going to transform somebody, if it's a keynote speech, it's intended to reach down deeper than tactics or how-tos towards the how-to-think stuff, towards the more transformational ideas. And the AV team saying it was killer or it resonated or hit home or moved them is, is just such strong signal. And so it goes back to, you know, my podcast unthinkable or my newsletter I write every week. If somebody who is not an exact replica of my past jobs, if they are demographically very different, but psychographically, which is hidden, there's something about them that aligns them to me, their belief system, what they like hearing or seeing or feeling. And that is what's triggered in them. That is what they're saying. Like, oh my gosh, I love this. That's a win. So if I'm E60 and I'm telling these stories of athletes and someone who doesn't usually love sports is saying, I actually really like this show, they're doing their jobs well because it's more about the human impact than any kind of like job title or list of interests that, you know, Facebook or Google would use to track you, right? That idea is like the through line through all of my work. So when I graduated college, there was really no opportunity uh, in print media it was struggling. I didn't, I maybe had a too big of an ego. I don't know to go to like a tiny little town. I'd never heard of to write about a sport. I didn't care about for years and years and years, but I got really lucky and got a job in ad sales at Google, hated the job, hated everything about putting my head down to do the work. I wasn't being creative, but around the job were a lot of nice benefits, a great brand. I met my wife at Google. It's just that, you know, so I saw business and I thought, well, 
I actually don't mind business. I was an intern at ESPN's PR department. So I saw how storytelling has a place in business. There's not much of it the way we experience it elsewhere. You know, my storytelling hero is Anthony Bourdain. I, I aspire, my grand delusion is to be like an Anthony Bourdain type storyteller, but in the business world. Because most business advice is, you know, well-worn tips and tricks that you find everywhere from the same thousand experts. Then vapid career advice that's better off as an Instagram post than an entire book, <laughs> but someone's trying to make money and be famous and be an influencer. Then like shock jock, fast paced, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Google chatter once again, or now I guess it's like Elon Musk related and Bitcoin related. So like, I've just had enough of that. We all get profound meaning or want to from the day-to-day -day work that we have. Well, Bourdain told profound meaningful stories from people seemingly day-to-day, -day, the food truck, the grandma's kitchen, right? Parts Unknown was the name of his CNN show. It wasn't really about the exotic locations. That wasn't the unknown part. So much as him sitting with someone you think you knew and getting to a part you didn't by asking great questions and telling great stories. Well, there's, there's such a need for that in the workplace. So, so that's what I aspire to do. I love that. Um, so tell me about, you know, from that standpoint, you always talk about storytelling. And, and when we started this podcast, the reason we started this podcast was not to get ourselves attention or be out there in the media um, or even to be like, oh, we're going to get introduced to somebody that's incredible. It was as simple as saying the, the community members, the people we work with have amazing stories. And when we sit down and have that conversation, we said, wow, if we were to record that, that could have been powerful. That could have helped somebody. That could have moved somebody. That could have changed somebody. And that was the whole basis of our podcast. And that's why we started it was to tell these stories, dive deep into the brands. People might know all the brands that we have on our podcast, but do they really know them? Like, do they really know what's going on? And so I'm pretty, pretty fascinated by that. Now in 2015, you started Unthinkable Media, I believe. Tell us yep. about what Unthinkable Media is. And, and now you've been doing that journey for five and a half years and would love to know uh, about that, uh, about that sure. journey. Yeah, my, I mean, my last in-house job was at a venture capital firm where I was their VP of brand. So at that point, I'd been to a giant global company in Google, a company about to go public in HubSpot, a tiny little startup no one's ever heard of, but I learned a lot from in Daily Break Media, and now VC. So massive, mid-sized, tiny, and then the kind of stepping to the side of the arena, so to speak, to view the entirety of the innovation economy with VC. I literally had nowhere else to go. I had to start my own thing. And I always thought to myself, well, if you're starting your own thing, because I was in software, you have to have some kind of product, you have to go raise capital, you have to have a team. I was always shying away from creating content. Well, there's this great movement now happening, whether you call it the creator economy or my friend Joe Polizzi has a media company called The Tilt, which is helping people turn from creators, content creators into content entrepreneurs. And that's the phrase, content entrepreneurship. So that's kind of what Unthinkable Media is. It's my sort of legal entity for this content entrepreneurship journey that I'm on. And it started very simply. It started with a podcast, similar to, to you guys, um, called Unthinkable. And the whole goal with Unthinkable was to just say, there's so much commodity crap work out there and no one really aspires for that to be what they create. So why? What's causing it? What's going on? And I basically said, I think the status quo is broken. broken. I see a mountain peak in the distance. I'd like to get there. If you believe that's a better place to be than where we're at, come with me. Every episode, I'm asking questions. So like the very first episode was called quality versus quantity. 
because I was in marketing for most of my career and people debate, should you publish a quantity of content or quality? And it's kind of a false decision. There's a, it's fraught, right? So I was like, let me try and figure this out. I'm going to go on a journey to investigate. I'm going to act like an investigator instead of act like an expert. And purely by accident at that point, I assure you, people seemed really fired up about that concept, about the way I approached the work. Yes, and also told the stories. And I just have learned over the last five and a half years that like, if you feel frustrated, if there is something you see as broken, the way you can use content and creativity to fix it is to raise your hand and say, I don't have all the answers, but I'd like to figure it out. I am not an expert. I'm an explorer. Join me. And so I've just sort of seen that play out in multiple like permutations through my work as an entrepreneur. Like it's, I mentioned Unthinkable, that's where it started. But people started asking me to create shows for them. And that's always the conversation I have with clients is like, that's how we're orienting your show. It's what's broken. The show is a vehicle. Creativity is a vehicle to lead, to fix things. It's a problem solving approach. Not because you already know the answers, but because you'd like to find some and people subscribe for the journey. So it plays out with client shows. It plays out with the keynote speeches I give. Just the posture of what a creative person can accomplish today and how, to, how they see the world transforms and elevates their work, right? And storytelling is like the cheat code. Storytelling is like the little mental heuristic you, you can use, which is essentially what I just explained. Today is broken. That would be better. There's obstacles in the way, right? How do we get over those obstacles? Join me. Like, I didn't really say anything there, but that's kind of like a Mad Lib-esque story. Because if you don't have tension or conflict, you don't really have a story. So stories are problem-solving vehicles. Creativity is a problem-solving vehicle. And my sort of purview, the personal professional mission I've given to myself and remind myself of every single day is I want to help people make what matters most to them, their careers, their companies, their communities, because there's too much commodity crap out there. How do I do that? I don't know. I'm on the hunt for it. Every project is me trying to figure that out. So join me. And that, that's my overture to the world. You have a, uh, a sign that's right behind you that's pretty cool. And I want to ask you a little yeah. bit more about that. Yeah. So it says, don't market more, matter more. Tell me what that means to you and how companies and leaders can take that advice and implement it in their daily life. I think it's very simple. If so, it, We all know some people and thanks to the internet, it's easy to reach and participate in the people, the community, the tribe you'd like to serve. And I think that's what great marketing is today. It's not about who arrives. It's about who stays. It's participation, not promotion. Because if you're not a part of that community, how do you hope to serve them? And so our, our mission as entrepreneurs, as marketers, as creative leaders is not to market more. There's like too much over-marketing of commodity junk. It's to matter more. It's to turn to the people we can already reach, the people who already probably like us or at least know us, and give them something that transforms them and helps them in such a way that they both get closer to us and go get us more people who we'd like to serve, who are just like them for free. And so like in marketing, you think about the funnel. Top of the funnel is where we usually retreat. We need more awareness. Fill the top of the funnel and trickling out the bottom are some customers or advocates. I think of it more as concentric circles where the goal is not the broadening of everything. The goal is bringing people closer to the center where you stand, super fans. And so maybe one radius out from super fans is a loyal audience and one radius out from them. And the bigger circle is, uh, you know, some sort of passive audience, maybe the outermost circle is total strangers. Most marketing looks like running around the world, trying to convince total strangers to look our way 
and or like us and act in a way that benefits us. That's inefficient and expensive, let alone the, the human component, which is it makes no sense relationship-wise. It is far more effective for your business, and it makes way more sense from a human-to-human standpoint to start with a small number of people who like you already and give them a reason to love you, give them a reason to evangelize you, speak to their soul. You know, go deeper than like, it's useful content for marketers, for example, to putting your finger on the personal and passionate reason that they do marketing. And again, back to storytelling, that's what that does. Because you say to the world, the way you're doing marketing is broken. You feel it, I feel it, maybe you can't say it out loud, fine, I'll say it out loud. This is, this is terrible, why are we doing it this way? Don't you think it should be that way instead? Okay, cool, that's what our content is for. That's what our product is for, that's what our service is for. We exist to solve that problem, join us on this journey. And as you accrue more super fans, what you'll find is you spend almost no time, if any time at all, trying to get total strangers on the outermost circle to you because that's the job of the super fan. They can't stop evangelizing what you're doing. And that's free. That's amazing, right? And it's like this weird synapse doesn't fire in marketers or business leaders' brains where we like we know this logically, but we don't do it. That's what it means to stop marketing more and try to matter more. What big brand would you say has mastered that thought process? I think almost any big brand that you see thriving today has put their finger on that in the past, and that's why they're big. Got it. And I think it's it's almost, to me, it's really difficult to learn from any big brands because most of what they're doing is they're sitting atop a pile of riches, benefiting from the body of work that preceded whatever the people they are doing today. It's far more telling to watch people that have no cachet, that haven't built up or accrued the brand affinity and are now starting to gain it. You know, I think about a company out of Indianapolis called Lessonly, which is a B2B software company. They sell tools to help you train sales and customer support people on your team. And they told me they have 79 competitors in North America alone. And all of them do marketing the same way. And Lessonly did too when they started. It's like tips and tricks for salespeople, interviews with sales executives and sales coaches. And Lessonly decided about a year and a half ago, two years ago, to own a theme in the market, which was wrapped in a story. The theme is practice. So what they realized was their most successful customers use a product feature suite in their platform labeled practice. Their most productive sales conversations were with people that talked about the value of practice for sales teams. And nobody out there was talking about it. And so the change and that's what storytelling is, right? It's a, it's a process of change. You get over certain tension, you solve a problem. The change they wanted to make was elevate the role of practice in sales. Because if they could own that theme outright in the market, number one, it benefits them. And if they could push for that change, number two, it benefits salespeople. So they started with a podcast called Practice First. And sure, they interview salespeople occasionally, but like their first season is mostly Olympians and sommeliers and entrepreneurs. Like, How do you practice your craft what can we learn as salespeople? Because our job is about practice too. Because if you practice better, you sell better. So rather than teach you how to sell better, they like looked at the first principle of it, the problem, the status quo, was most human beings in sales think it's like a gift. You have the gift of gab. Or they think it's about the script. Give me the knowledge or the answer or the technique, you know, third party or coach or boss. But what Lessonly believed was, no, it's actually about, it's a craft. It's about practice. And so if you learn how to be a world-class practicer at sales and probably borrow from outside of sales, you'll thrive. And so now they have like all these tangential products or what if you're developing a show, you call these IP extensions. It's the core concept manifest differently or more deeply elsewhere. 
So from the podcast, they went to a research report, a live event, an online event series, newsletter content, social media content, all these things. So you look at them now and they seem prolific, but it really started with just having this one core story and this idea of like, this is when they say thought leadership, we've lost what that means. We think it's about the thoughts. It's actually about the leadership and leadership is usually saying, I don't know the answers. We think of a thought leader as someone who has answers. No, I think the best experts to follow self-identify as explorers. And that's really what Lesson Lee was able to do. So to me, they're like a really great case study of how to use storytelling, use tension, use high impact content like a show to affect change, to matter more instead of market more. That's brilliant. I have a question. When you are creating your content, not only for your podcast, but what you just explained uh, with that organization, what goes through your head when you're about to produce content that you are putting out on the different platforms? Do you almost have kind of a checklist, right? I've heard from a lot of different people that have different you know, ideas, whether it's, will it make me money? Will it educate? Will it make someone laugh? And if it's not one of those three things, then I'm not posting it. What goes through your mind <laughs> when you're creating content and how yeah. have you become like I said, in my mind, like everything you put out there, I I tr- I, I, I kind of tag you, right? Like I'm going to see what Jay is going to put out there because I know it will elevate who I am, not only as a person, but I'm going to learn from it, right? And and look, there, I follow a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons, but that's kind of why I follow you. And and that's, I guess I'm now like your super spreader or whatever you, you were calling it. <laughs> so like, so tell me about that. Like what goes through your mind when you're putting out content and how yeah, do you kind of deem that a success? It's a fair question. I think a lot about it from people that, you know, I, I learn from and admire creatively. And I think there's there's a little bit of kabuki theater that goes on when creative people explain their own processes. Like it's an over dramatic dramatized version of what actually went down. Like what actually goes down most times is it just kind of felt right. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do we get to the point where what what just feels right is probably right, you know, is worth pursuing? That's kind of my lifelong pursuit is like you know, I mentioned Unthinkable, my podcast, we're on this journey to understand what I'm calling the next rep. It's like, how do really successful creative people who tinker and test and build and have thriving bodies of work and careers, how do they get to the next rep? Forget the body of work. It's just built, it's built up of these little atomic units of motion called the next rep. How do they get there consistently? How do they get there better? I don't know. That's what the show is trying to figure out. Okay. So what I think I've realized about myself is part of what gets me there is frustration is like, I really, I feel like I'm a sensitive person. Not that I feel like I'm weak. I think I just sense things. Like I, I, things affect me. And sometimes that is bad. Sometimes it is, it causes me to stop and sit with it and dwell on it too much and kind of stew on thoughts. But for the most part, I think I have a certain um, cynical streak or skeptic streak. And that causes me to look at what most people just do because it's the best practice and be like, that sucks though but like that's broken, but like that feels bad on the receiving end. Why are we doing this? And most of us are able to shrug it off and I'm not. And so how do I parlay frustration now into creativity? And it's, again, it's like, I think it's just good storytelling. You sort of lean into the pain and the problem to springboard back towards a solution. Um, You know, and you can see this playing out in things that are popular on social media. They go too far into the tension. They go too far. They don't really have a solution. They're fighting against stuff without fighting for anything because that's what spreads and that's what the algorithm reward rewards. But if I'm trying to help you think differently or better or feel a certain thing, I have to move you towards a solution, which is why I keep coming back to stories because it's the path to it. Um, so the analogy I'd use is 
if you do this enough, it just feels right. But if you're just getting started, think of it this way. If creativity is like a raging fire and your curiosity is the kindling for it, then your frustration can be a match. And the goal is not to sit there holding the match and be just be frustrated all the time. Because if you sit there holding a match, it's good, you're going to get burnt, right? The goal is to start going, that is terrible. And then turn it into frustration. In other words, light the kindling. Huh, why? Is that how we do anything in this sector, community, society? Like, why is that the way we do it? What does history say? What does the science say? Can I talk to people? Can I participate in the community? I'm going to turn this frustration into curiosity and pursue and investigate something. I don't know. And then this raging fire that develops is your constant pursuit of that. It's not like the muse struck you and it's lightning striking the kindling. No, it was much more intentional. And I think we all are frustrated by stuff. And we're all capable of just like shipping work in order to learn instead of being like, I already understand it. Here's my answers. It's like, no, no, no. My writing is the act of trying to understand. Um, so if you're receiving something that resonates from me, thank you for saying that, by the way. I think it's that. I think it's that you're receiving the byproduct of a lot of reps of me like lighting a match, lighting the kindling, seeing what catches fire, and then doing it again and again and again. And I think what most people do is they either don't light the match and they like stuff down their frustration because they're like, well, this is the way it's done. They just accept the convention or they light the match and they just sit there holding it. And over time, I think that burns you. I totally agree. What would be your advice for just content in general through multiple different platforms? You look at this infatuation with likes, comments, followers. What you yeah. mentioned earlier in this podcast is, is brilliant when it comes to you need to be create an audience that that loves you for who you are, right? An audience that follows you, not just trying to be, you know, a little bit of everything, but you need to have that core and that's how you're going to truly build that business. How do we change the way that we look at social media? Because it doesn't sure. have to necessarily be an influencer, but if you look at young kids, right? They're not only going to school and necessarily getting bullied or getting judged on. Now it's how many followers do I have? Can I get on TikTok? Could I get, right. go do something stupid and still get a million views and feel proud about myself? What are we going to do as a society to get away from those types of, of tools that Instagram and LinkedIn and all these places, they can say whatever they want. It was built that way, right? It was built for you to go like, oh, I hope I get a lot of likes here. Or, oh, I hope I get a lot of comments. And if you don't, you feel like, oh, I'm a failure when you might've spent five hours trying to think about that post. How do we change the way we think? So it's more about, like your sign says, don't market more, matter more. Well, oh, there's two ways to look at that question. So one is the societal implications and the other is you know my kind of home base, which is people's careers and companies. Um, and I'm imminently more qualified, I think, to speak to the latter, but just to touch on the former really quick. These are advertising networks and we've lost sight of that. These are, these are systems built up to accrue inventory and monetize it with ad sales. And that's it. That's what a social network is. It's actually not about the social network. It's not about the connections. It's about, about every single thing they do, including establishing your network and creating a sense of connection, is to then sell some metrics to advertisers or some data to make money. And so the healthier view on that, the healthier approach to creativity online is you're treating these third parties, YouTube, LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, like what they are, which is at best, at best, they are landlords who rent to you. 
Now we can go back into the business world. Because if you're building your business and your audience based on something you're renting, that landlord can change the rules, can increase what it costs, can kick you out of the building at any point. And history, recent history is littered with examples. Like as I was sort of understanding and figuring out my career in marketing early on, I saw lots of brands build Facebook brand pages. All these followers, they paid for it. They paid for technology to build into their pages. They paid for creative and talent and labor to build up. And then what happened is Facebook said, "Uh uh-uh, you're building on our platform. We're not seeing any of that revenue. And I know you have 100,000 likes on your brand page. We are now going to restrict the organic reach. You can probably reach maybe 1%. This is like back in like, I don't know, 2012 where I'm speaking from. So I don't even know what it is now. I've deleted my Facebook page years ago uh, and my Facebook account, but they restricted that. So now what do you have to do? You have to pay Facebook to advertise to people who said, I'd like to see your content. The landlord changed the rules and everybody is continuing to repeat that same exact problem. People are so excited about whatever clubhouse and TikTok. LinkedIn has been around for a while in the business world. Now people are writing newsletters exclusive to LinkedIn. It's the height of insanity because you don't control it. These are outposts. You're borrowing your time there. So you're playing, I'm not going to mix some metaphors from an earlier answer here, but you're playing with fire. Not the good kind here, not the creative kind. (laughs) You're going to get burnt. Like history has shown that. So what we need to do is own our experience, own our platform, take responsibility for saying, yeah, you know what? It's easier to reach people over here, but unless they're coming back to my website or my email list, I am incredibly vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable. And What's going to happen is people will hear this. Let's say out of 100 people who hear this, one person will change their behavior. 99 won't. And of those 99, 55 of them are going to get completely burned. And so now you're gambling. The odds are slightly against you. And the longer you play that game, the more likely it is you're going to lose. And you're going to be up in arms. How could they do that? It's what they are. We like <laughs> back, back to sports. Who was it? Was it Nolan Richardson from Arkansas football? Who, who had that famous rant? No, no, no. Dennis Green. I think who was like, they are who we thought we were. Yes, they are who, who exactly we thought they were. Yep. Dennis Green, the football coach. They are who we thought they were. That's social media. And and yet there go more people so excited about Clubhouse, so excited about TikTok. This time it's different. What a warm community. Oh my gosh, I love, I I heard a media <laughs> executive say our, our, our strongest asset we own aside from our website is our Facebook page. You don't own that, sir. I'm sorry. It's just, this is bananas and we have to stop. Wow. That's a great answer, man. Really great perspective as well. Um, Can we find some of this uh, information and thought process within your new book, Break the Wheel? (laughs) So I, 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 the hard thing about writing a book is you get better at speaking to the concepts in the book after the book is published, right? So you're like, wow, if I wrote it again today, it'd be 10x as good. So I wrote, (laughs) I wrote Break the Wheel. I wrote Break the Wheel in 2018. Um, And it wasn't focused on marketing per se, so much as the themes of my my show, Unthinkable, and the interviews I had with people around it, not just the people that appeared on it, it really showed me that the problem I was seeing in marketing, which was also persistent in other professions, needed to be diagnosed and addressed, which is this over-reliance on best practices, or at least the perceived convention and best practice. And so you have this, like what I call this ever-spinning wheel of like a best practice is on top today, or a channel, or a trend. Or this is the conventional wisdom we've been clinging to for years. And eventually there's another one and another one and another one. And our attempt is always to like reach out to the next spoke on that wheel as it comes up faster and faster and trend hop. 
or cling to the spoke of our choosing, the convention, and then we get crushed as the world turns. Or more likely, it's like that wheel spins out of control. So we're like all over the place, chaotically driven by reactive work. And, you know, my assessment was there's some real problems with best practices. Namely, you're missing these like key variables when you're making choices that are present in your situation and not the experts and not the past version of your business and not the guru who benefits from being on all these new channels and telling you, you should be too. Like we're making these poor choices that are uninformed. And when you're missing some key variables, the best you can get to is an approximation of what you should have done is like, yeah, it's good enough. And so that's why there's a lot of good enough commodity, basic average work out there. Um, so I think some of these channels, um, to, to your question, Scott, are parts of the culprit, are parts of the problem. Like if you were to look at this wheel, one spoke is colored Facebook, one spoke is colored, you know what I mean? Like, so they, they perpetuate the problem and it's so enticing that I think we've, we, we struggle even more to remove ourselves from the wheel, smash it to bits and, and go make a better choice than this like perceived or handed down knowledge. Yeah, I uh, I think about this all the time, and we we're not on TikTok, and and I I was invited to Clubhouse, and I didn't participate that much at all. Wait, you're not on TikTok, Brian? Yeah. Brian, but you have to be I know. on TikTok. You, your brand must you have to be. We're missing you out. You have to be. We're missing. You out. didn't know that you have to. I, be. I'm, it's, I, it's mandatory. It's unbelievable. Now. I mean, and that and that's the thought process. I I had this conversation a lot. I have a three year old, and I have a ten month old, and I I can't wait till they're well. I take it back. I I don't want them to grow up right now, but when they are older, I just envision this conversation that goes like this, dad, why in the hell did you put every single picture of me, every single thing that we did? Why did you put all this stuff on a social media channel? First off, why the hell did you even share all your information on social media? Are you an idiot? And I know I'm going to get that conversation because hopefully the generations that are younger than us are going to see what this has done, right? From a lot of different capacities, not even just from a business standpoint, but from a, from a mental illness standpoint, let's talk about how infatuated people are with Instagram, with all of these platforms. And what you mentioned was amazing. Like you are, that that is the landlord that is renting that to you. You don't own anything. So that, thank you for that, man. That, by the way, if your kids are having that conversation with you, Brian, if your kids are bringing that stuff up that way, you've done a hell of a job as a parent. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that is success. Yeah. Well, I hope, hey, I hopefully hey, that happens. Don't go home today and yeah. give them that iPad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, and, and it's, it's just, it's an interesting thing because, um, like you said, a lot of things change. I mean, we have a lot of brands that have come on this podcast that have grown their brand specifically to these platforms. Right. But what happens when it changes? Right. Like, you know, you better enjoy the success right now because when Instagram changes it again, then it could change all over. Right. So that was uh, that was very fascinating. Before we let you go, man, tell us, you know, what's next? What can we expect from you? I have a feeling a lot of people are going to be following you after this podcast (laughs) or hopefully they will. Uh, But tell us, what's the future, man? You you've brought a lot of knowledge to this podcast and I'm excited to to see what you envision for uh, for your future. I really appreciate that. Um, I, you know, I think like many people, I was back on my heels throughout 2020, you know, family constraints and burdens and uncertainty and business all, all across the board. Same thing. You know, I mentioned public speaking uh, is it was and is a big part of my my business. And so 2021, like a lot of people, is about getting back to, you know, or hopefully it will be for a lot of people, getting back to the core, like getting back to what I think I, I want to do uniquely well and am doing uniquely well. Um, so I actually, I have this one slide that I actually keep up on my screen at all times because just by casually looking at it, 
you know, I'll be on a phone call and I'll gaze at it. It just reminds me and my subconscious to think about this stuff. And the slide says three things. Stories at the core. Focus on high impact work only. Because, you know, I get task driven a lot because I'm a, I'm a solo entrepreneur. And then add to the rejection pile or what you might call the, the this might not work list. So I think that's where I'm at right now. And, and the way I'm doing that is to put unthinkable truly at the center of my work. And so we're experimenting with live classes around the show. We're experimenting with a community group and a membership group for creators uh, driven by the show. I'm trying to inject more people into the, the content, including those members. And uh, so everything is flowing through that show because it's, it's definitely the best thing I've ever done and do. But like many people, I was smacked in the face in 2020. So now it's about, you know, shaking that off, standing back up and, and getting back to, to being who I want to be. Love Love it. It. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, I joke about, I don't know if you've ever read the book called the energy bus, uh, but on the energy bus, it's a great book. You should read it. Uh, it's all about positive energy and, and, and creating an environment where your circle is people that will, will influence you in a positive way. But ultimately it makes you realize that there is no room for negative. There is no room for negativity. There's no room for negative people. And if they're in your circle, you need your circle to be smaller or you need to get them the hell out of your circle. Um, and there's a, a key part in there is where you take these little sticky notes and you can put them that, that kind of remind you of certain things. One of them is, is, uh, basically no energy vampires allowed on my bus. And I have that there. I'm going to take your three and put that there as well, because I think it's brilliant. It's brilliant for what we do, but I love, uh, I love how that will challenge you and keep you, you know, focused. And, um, and there's a lot of things that, that happen every single day, but if you have this, that's, uh, that's at the core. And like you said, stories are at the core. So that's really cool, man. I, um, I really appreciate you you joining us on here. Like I said, I've been an avid fan. Uh, I learned so much. I think my head hurts right now, uh, to be honest. But I think there'll be a lot of people that will learn a lot from you. And I wish you the the most success ever. Like I, I always mention, if you are listening, please like, share, comment. Go check out Jay. Uh, he's awesome. You will It will be somebody that you will continue to come back to. And uh, I just really appreciate you joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Jay. That was awesome. Until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.